One of the things that we pride ourselves on is partnership and how we work together with people. And we're doing that in the research and development space. We've got some unbelievable partners. And you know, they say back to us, like you guys are working differently, you're making decisions differently, you're taking risks in a different way. Um, so we can move fast and we can really break through into cool areas. There's sort of this weird thing where you're not confined to thinking inside the box because you don't know what the walls of the box are. That's, I think, what unlocks a lot of the speed and agility. We're not necessarily confined by past experiences and doing these things, which you might be if you're very process-oriented. That really excites me, and I think that helps expedite work, create our own processes, as opposed to defaulting to whatever standard we were doing before. Thousands of people have jump-started their TikTok content strategy using Coley's TikTok Creative Brief template. That's because it has all the steps for successful creator collaborations and best practices to create fun and engaging TikToks. If you haven't grabbed your copy yet, don't worry. Coley just dropped a brand new version of their popular template filled with even more tips and insights to level up your TikTok game. Head to coley.com TikTok to download your free copy and start creating TikToks for your brand that people actually want to watch. Hello and welcome to All Killer No Filler, the D2C podcast. I am Eric Dick and today we have a podcast that we just discovered is about two years in the making. It was about two years ago that I first started talking with Elliot Rosen, uh, Director of Growth at the Unilever Uncovery. And I'm super excited to have both him as well as Selena Sykes, the VP of New Business Creation at Unilever, a was it 52.4 billion dollar company to discuss innovation and ideation and and how a company like Unilever uh, likes to launch products and, and how that dovetails with Pilothouse. So Selena, can we start with you? This is a broad question. How does Unilever think about new business creation in 2022? I think for us, it's about how we can really be future fit and looking to where people are going. So we know that what people out there need, what they want, what they desire is changing all the time. And I think there's never been a time in history where kind of culture and technology are converging to make things change really fast and make people, you know, make everything that you want and design more accessible to you. So we're a big company that's always, you know, for 100 years been trying to meet the needs of consumers and the wants of consumers. So if we can stay ahead of that and understand that and start testing and learning as quick as possible, we know that we're going to be a successful business into the future. So new business creation for us is about understanding what the future is evolving and making sure we're there doing it, not just observing it happen outside our business. Amazing. You have, you have so many brands, so many brands that have been around for just under 100 years. I saw it was, it was 1929 that Unilever was created. So you're coming up on your 100 year anniversary, if, if that's correct. Um, so Elliot, what would you chime in on on uh, this, this idea of new business creation or innovation? And specifically, what is the uncovery? Wow, two big questions. So I think I'll start with the Uncovery and then we'll talk about my view on new business creation. So I think the Uncovery is like its own house of brands. So we are trying to launch a bunch of digitally native, omni-channel brands that deal with all of the evolving consumer demands that Selena described. I think how we think about new business creation, how to identify opportunities, that's like a moving target that we're always exploring. So we We've tested so many theses of like, what's the best starting point for coming up with a great product idea. So things that we've looked at are, how do we start with communities, maybe co-creating directly with consumers, um, and even more like data-centric uh, methodologies by combing through like search demand or other data we can find on the web. 
um, and seeing what opportunities and white spaces are available. Elliot, you've written for D2C before on this concept of, of this ideation process. Do you go uh, into this ideation process with a blank piece of paper? Or as you say, are you really sort of, is it a process where you have a blank piece of paper while you look at all these search trends and, um, you know, cultural trends and things like that? Like, what, describe what the ideation process looks like. I think oftentimes it is, if it's not a white piece of paper, it's a whiteboard. Um, and we're starting to kind of build a direction as we go. Uh, I think this leaves enough open to create the magic of ideation. So there's sort of like this fool's errand where we're searching for like, what's the single best data source that can just provide us the answer for everything that we should build. And I found that that's kind of, that's more of like a scientific way of going towards ideation. I see ideation a lot more like alchemy. So you're combining a good deal of these you know, sci scientific methodologies. So like combing through demand on search and everything is very numbers heavy and quantitative, but you also leave the door open for bouncing off of those and coming up with ideas that might be more qualitative or uh, like a more like divine inspiration that comes to your team. Yeah, and I can build on that because that, I think that's what the Uncovery is about. So we're really trying to bring the best of Unilever and you know, our legacy and our expertise, you know, the team that we've got in the Uncovery have so much, like they've worked in this industry for such a long time and really have a hell of a lot of experience there. And trying to combine that with, um, as Elliot says, some of the like new ways of looking at things, um, data centric, digital focused, um, kind of ways to, to break the model and hack the model and, and find the disruption in what's been done before. So we're combining this, this magic, this expertise, with um, the future and, and the way a lot of um, startups operate to try and find these um, magic areas. So, you know, that's where we think something unique will happen and, and, and where we're finding our brands. I'm, I'm curious, like you've got 100 years, 90 some odd years of, of data in, you know, in this CPG space. How much of, of the legacy data about consumer habits and things like that, how much does that play into ideation or confirmation of, of the ideas that you're actually going to put budget behind? I know that um, the, I, I would, I call it less data, I call it insight. It's insight. It's, it's a business that really understands people in these spaces. So I wouldn't necessarily say it's data, it's consumer insight that we have, category understanding. There is such... Um, and I've spoken to many people in different startups with many different backgrounds, but the kind of category or understanding you have after being in categories for 100 years is completely different when you're just like entering into a category as a consumer who's got a really good idea to launch something in there. And, you know, you're combining this through like, you know, all the people in our team and all the people that we can tap into in Unilever. Um, it's that insight that's really special um, that I think that brings to the table. And the data is more of the stuff that's coming fresh. You know, that's that's what's happening. Like you say, search demand, um, social, you know, all these things. And, and again, you know, Lever's got really good technologies and algorithms um, to harness that um, and is able to build those really sophisticated tools that we can tap into as well, which is great. I, I was going to say, Devon's saying this point about how much talent there is in the team and how many years of experience you bring to the table. I think when you think about starting like upstart or challenger brands, you usually have like a really talented product person or an operator, I'm talking externally right now, you rarely have people who have such deep knowledge about the science or the consumer research and a lot of things that we bring to the table or we have access to when we knock on Unilever Proper's door. So it definitely is, uh, 
it's a competitive advantage, but it also leads us to different doors than you would be if you were just starting this out of your garage or something. I can imagine. Opens opens a few of them too. Yeah, I was gonna jump in and say like one of the one of the very cool things is, you know, obviously the the access that you guys have to R and D resources and production capability and all those kinds of things. And I'm I'm wondering how like how you're utilizing those insights that we were just talking about of a hundred years of being in category to like refine those processes to become quicker and, and quicker. Can you guys touch on that a little bit maybe? Yeah, I think um product something we really pride ourselves on and I know Elliot's like a real champion of this so I'm sure he'll add to it but you've got to find what the like we use the word need but I, I think in the in we work in beauty and wellness and I think it's more about desire so um you find what they desire you find where the gaps are in the market um and then you absolutely have to deliver on it of the product like that's something that we really really pride ourselves on and that maybe comes from our Unilever background that's what we always think in Unilever like the product comes first so we have got you know people in our team that are insanely good at research and development and have you know launched some of the best products that are on the market really understanding tapping into enormous teams and enormous resources in labs um, that are fantastic but also where this kind of hybrid model comes into we're also tapping into these external resources you know one of the things that we pride ourselves on at the recovery as well as product is partnership and how we work together with people. And we're doing that in the research and development space. We've got some unbelievable partners. And because we're working in such an agile way, we're just moving so fast with them. And, you know, they say back to us, like, you guys are working differently. You're making decisions differently. You're taking risks in a different way. Um, so we can move fast and we can really break through into cool areas. Um, and I think it is, again, it's all about this combination of that that deep expertise and scientific knowledge with these external partners and um, and collaboration to, to get into product. And the buffer that you're able to create with the uncovery, right? With with this, you know, this sort of safe space a little bit where you, you're really prioritizing experimentation and ideation and the ability to, you know, work with these partners and be super nimble in a way that Unilever proper just isn't probably set up to do. Is that right, Elliot? I think like Unilever proper is set up to do similar things for the core brands. What appealed to me in the beginning when they were setting up the group, and I think what appeals to a lot of the people on the team is there's a certain like punk aspect where it's like once you get to a certain level of your ability in R&D or supply chain or in the marketing side, you wonder what it would be like to do everything like soup to nuts. And we're a pretty unique opportunity in the world where we're allowing that. So I think everyone has job descriptions and specialties on our team, but they've sort of dissolved. Um, and that's really different than I think that if you're working at not just Unilever, but any large organization, it's, it's very much all hands on deck. And I, I try to avoid like startup mentality as something really scrappy or these things that are kind of like ephemeral or uh, talking points of the moment. But like, it, it is like that. I don't think like on any given day, I'm confined necessarily by what my job description says, but it's like, there's so many jobs that need to be done when standing up a brand and one day you're a designer, the next day you're trying to figure out packaging. And like, that's really special. That's, that's some of the cool stuff that we're discovering is how different skill sets can be applied in ways that you haven't imagined before because we've dissolved these boundaries. So Elliot's a great example of someone who has definitely got a deep expertise in our team. Um, around growth and marketing but is getting involved in all sorts of things and when you put these people together 
again, sparks fly and you get some really cool ideas. So I think as well as trying to create these brands and create this new business models, we're also trying to understand what are some of the new ways of working that we could apply to the bigger models and the, the core brands. So we're experimenting with how we do it as well as what we're creating. And I would assume that like the cross learning that comes from that has got to be like an accelerator, right? Yeah. You'd be surprised how good supply chain people are at marketing and how marketing people can come up with out of the box ideas for your first run of production. Like there's sort of this weird thing where you're not confined to thinking inside the box because you don't know what the walls of the box are. That's I think what unlocks a lot of the speed and agility is because we're not necessarily confined by past experiences of doing these things, which you might be if you're, you know, very process oriented. Yeah, that's that really excites me. And I think that helps like expedite work, uh, create our own processes as opposed to, you know, um, defaulting to whatever standard we were doing before. I want to talk about your processes, but first I'm just curious about like, can you give me an idea? It doesn't have to be exact, but of like the number of ideas you come up with, the number of concepts you actually test, and then the number of ones that you, that you go to the next phase. First of all, what are those phases? I guess it starts with ideation. And can you kind of just walk me through what that filter process looks like? I would say it starts with ideation, which is coming up with ideas. Then you have to sort of build what we've been calling like a minimum viable brand. I've seen this used a lot in like the tech space, but um, we've been applying it a lot in the consumer packaged goods arena, which is basically what is the minimal amount of branding with the least amount of waste that we can create to get consumer feedback. Then there's a validation phase, which is putting that in front of consumers in various formats and tests to see what the feedback is. Um, And then you're kind of approaching after that, like how do you launch this in its MVP format? Um, and start to see its commercial viability. In terms of numbers, like it's a lot. Like I was trying to do counting to come into this because I, I knew we would we would count it. But I think in like the year that we've been doing this, like it's an excess of like 200 and something full concepts. Um, half baked things in the background, I mean, we're talking about hundreds more. Um, and the, f- the funnel is like, that's where all the value is. Because we have to go down from, you know, 225 concepts or whatever to the ideas that we launch. And that's kind of our constraint. If we'd love to launch every single one full blown and see how they do, but you know, time, hands and and money basically constrain us. And about how many in that year of those 200 would you say you've launched? So coming out of this year, we'll launch 10 brands, which is, is really a lot. We're a really small team. We, are, we work in a really lean way. So you know, for anyone who's been involved in launching a brand, we're doing it differently. And that's the whole point. The whole point is we're doing this in a really cost-efficient way, exactly as Elliot's stuff. Get get stuff in people's hands, understand what it is. And then we're, at the moment, because we've, we've just launched some brands, we're really now learning about how can you spot a winner? Because we all know that however many percentage of startups fail, like that's just, of course, the way it is. And you can all start with a great idea. Every single one of the ideas we, lo- we get to launch are definitely scalable ideas on paper. They are brands that could become massive, massive brands that Unilever could take on in the future. Everything we launch is, is, has got that potential. But as we know, that's not all you need. You need to get in there. You need to get the feedback. You need to refine it. You need to keep refining it and iterating it. And launching 10 is a really good number to get a sense of. And we'll, we're just in the early stages, but we're seeing how fast and how quick we can go and how much better we can make our model. Um, so we can you know, find the brands that are going to become future um, brands for, for Unilever. 
just to follow up on Eric's question here, what can you guys give us an um, what's the fastest post it to first sale you guys have had so far? I think it was thirty nine days. So like thirty nine days from nothing but a scribble in front of us to holding product in hand. Um, actually, more than that, thirty nine days until it was on the digital shelf. Um, so fast. And there was still some waste in there. Like we're constantly, we are our own worst critics. So we're trying to improve these processes and we're kind of discovering a lot as we go. So I think one unique thing with our team is like, just because you've had experience working in beauty and personal care, doesn't mean you necessarily have experience working with the intricacies of Amazon, for example. But instead of like overthinking what our strategy for Amazon will be in the first place, we just kind of go headlong into it and discover as we go, we get a ton of learnings. And then the next time when we come around to do it, we usually cut off, you know, 10 to 20 percent of the wasted time that we had previously and and for reference what would it take unilever proper to launch a new product it's hard to say because you know unilever's actually introduced a real really strong agility mindset and are embracing a lot of these practices across so there are some really fast launches not 39 days um but you know the other thing is some of the um some of the technologies that we're developing at Unilever can take years because they're really like game-changing technologies. So you can have um, t- technologies that take a couple of years. You can also have launches that you can do in a year. Um, you know, I've worked on some of those in my, in my experience. Um, I've worked, I think the fastest I've worked on in Unilever was, was probably about 14 months. Wrong size, wrong color, didn't look right in the living room? There are hundreds of reasons your customers return products, but returns don't have to be goodbyes they can be an opportunity to complete the shopping experience. Built exclusively for Shopify, Loop lets you create a delightful return experience to attract and retain more customers. By making it easy for your customers to find products they love, they'll come back again and again. See why thousands of Shopify brands like Allbirds, Chubbies, and Brooklinen trust Loop as their return partner at loopreturns.com DTC. I want to bring uh, Rob and Pilot House Amazon into this first, but can you, like, Selena, just tell me why, you know, I know Amazon is, is a critical part of this, you know, fast launch sort of structure that, you, that you've built out. Can you talk about why you've chosen Amazon to be such a critical part of, of this launch strategy? Yeah, I, so, so first of all, we've chosen the U.S. as a key market. And that's because it's at the forefront of beauty and wellness, and that's the categories that we're that we're launching in, um, and it's a it's a growing strong market. Um, and if you look in the US, a really key retail um, player in this space is Amazon. So like it, the facts are there that it's one of the fastest growing channels, one of the biggest channels. You can access many people, so it's definitely something that gives you the opportunity to scale. You know, it's not a niche channel; it's a big channel, and it's going to get bigger. So if you crack the code for what to do there, it's going to definitely benefit you for future launches because that's only going to be more important. So that's like kind of the business rationale. And then from a, our uncovery model, it's an amazing place to test stuff. You know, you can you can get things up there. You know, you can try different things. You can change your PDP page. Um, it's a really good environment to do that kind of experimentation. You know, and we, we really think it's a great channel to work on. There are other channels we look at as well, but Amazon's a key part. I saw a study this week that said that 40% of digital sales in the U.S. are going through Amazon right now. 
it's just there and you, you just reduce variables, right? You know, you, you still, as Rob can, will attest to in a minute here, there's lots of know-how that goes into the product page and the ads that you'll essentially run to, to generate the, the interest, <clears throat> the top of funnel awareness. But it just, it just reduces the number of variables you have in order to get solid distribution because it's where the shoppers are. Um, Rob, like, how, like how, how, how has this uh, relationship been for you so far? Uh, I mean, it's super, super fun because you get to see how nimble and fast the Uncovery team moves um, from brand launches to just getting new products out. It's, it's really crazy and it's really fun to be a part of. But then you have that excitement, too, of the power of Unilever Proper being behind those brands, behind those successes. So you start looking at if there's a win, you can immediately see that this is going to move very, very quickly. Uh, because that new product from post-it to launch, like you can apply that to expanding a product line as well. So you can grow a brand very quickly, but you can also launch new brands very fast. So that combined makes it, it's a really exciting place to be. And on the testing ground, like Amazon's great for that just because it's, it's where the customer is, but it's also that bottom of funnel search traffic. So people are problem aware, they're pain aware. And if you can show them and build some wins there, it kind of, reiterates that the bottom of funnel will buy. So now you can move up and educate middle of funnel, educate top of funnel and build the brand through other DTC channels, but you already know the, the purchase intent is there, uh, which is a cool way to, uh, to launch a brand. I love it. From, um, you know, when you launch these, when we get the green light essentially on a new product from the found, Unilever's foundry, um, what are our first, what's Pilot House's first steps to, to making sure that in, in the pre-interview, Elliot mentioned that, you know, the worst thing you, you don't want is to have, you know, $10 billion brands in your graveyard because you didn't give them enough juice or you didn't launch them properly. So what, what, does, what does an Amazon launch look like for one of these greenlit products? I mean, ultimately it starts with keyword research. Like that's your foundation of building anything on Amazon is understanding. Well, actually it starts with talking to the brand first and the, the R&D team and the brand team at Uncovery to understand what's in these products, why did they built it, what are the pain points we're solving, what's the intention of someone buying it to really understand that purchase decision. And then you're going into keyword research. So you say, okay, well, people looking to solve these problems, what are they looking for? What are they trying to solve? You build that into your, your listing, your ad strategy. Um, and of course, it's like dialing your listing images, build SEO optimized titles and bolts that also sell the product. Um, foundation is keyword research and then a smart ad strategy from there. And making the most of the first couple weeks to a month, uh, because if you can really hit it out of the gate, that's going to just double down your success. You do have that little bit of a honeymoon period on Amazon that you're going to be easier to build rank and relevance in the first sort of 30 days. Uh, so if you can take advantage of that by putting your best foot forward from day one, uh, that'll help build success. And then on the Unilever side, yeah, add on there, Elliot. I was going to add on the testing side that... Amazon is kind of perfect if you need to have a really quick kill, scale, or pivot decision. Because if you follow the best practices for launching a product on Amazon, so like Rob said, all the keyword research, optimizing the listing, getting a lot of banging creative, having your A+, and your brand store set up and all of that, if you give it like 60 or 90 days, you can get a pretty good read if what you're selling has legs. And that's pretty difficult when you, if you're testing on your own DTC website, right? Because like there's a million reasons why you're not, you may not be converting on your DTC. So maybe your email marketing is not set up. Maybe your PDPs are off. Maybe your load time and all these like 
decisions get collapsed. People usually talk about Amazon in terms of being like, it's not super flexible to these things, but there are benefits to the constraints of working within the Amazon environment. It's also incredibly expensive to generate demand for something. And like Rob said, with Amazon, like there's a ton of demand. It's about your ability to capture it. And if you're unable to capture demand after iterating a few times, like it doesn't matter how good your product is or how beautiful your brand is set up, like the, there's just not as much demand there as you thought there were. And unless you're gonna go and spend a bunch of money to generate demand, um, that's a huge indicator to us. In terms of other indicators, what, what are those key indicators when it comes to kill, scale, or pivot? Like, uh, what, what does it take to, to, to uh, get a brand from launch to, to scale? What are, what are you looking for there? Like, obviously sales, but like, what else are those, those key green flags? Yeah, I think obviously it's sales. So, so when we're launching stuff, I said everything's got scalable potential. So we have a sense of what good looks like in terms of size. The question is, what's the time to scale? And that's the tension, like how long does it take to really build these brands? And you can do so many case studies of all these success stories and how long it took them. Um, but ultimately, when you're living it and doing it, it's that kind of day-to-day -day decision. So we do look at a range of KPIs. Um, I think there are a load of, like, I wouldn't call them soft measures, but other measures in terms of the feedback you get on your product. And again, digital platforms are the perfect place to get ratings and reviews, to get feedback. Um, Social channels really place good to, to see if this community is engaging or not. Um, so any any kind of like social or community engagement metrics super important to us. I think we can get a sense in terms of like people coming back to buy because we can obviously track that through the data. And it's really important. Um, we're looking at things like the databases that we build. There are so many metrics in the kind of ecosystem of our launch that we can build and understand to get a sense of, as Elliot says, is this something that's got legs? And that's the whole point of our model. We, we're de-risking the opportunity to find out on a number of things, and then we can invest to scale. Um, and and like, like we said, we've, we've got the ability to do that as a business. I'm just curious, you don't, like, I don't know if we're talking specific products on this podcast, but do we have some products that have uh, launched and are sort of either approaching scale or already into that scale phase? No, I mean, you can, what do you, what, it depends what you call scale first. There are definitely like a hierarchy of our brands. Um, and actually we use kind of agile methodologies to help us prioritize. And I was just talking to my team about like what different bucket each of our brands, of our 10 brands are in. Um, so there are definitely brands that are giving us more positive indicators. Um, we learn every day in this. And that's why I love working in the recovery. Like I've learned so much. I've, be, I've been doing this for like, 16 years in my career, but this last year of leading this business um, has been incredible because you just like, it's more than a curve. It's it's really, um, if, you're, if your eyes are open and your ears are open, you can learn every single day a lot about how to win in this market. So we've definitely got a hierarchy, but I'm, I wouldn't say that I'm, I could say like I've got something that I'd be handing back to Unilever, uh, you know, to scale. Yeah, I, w I wanna give it some time. I wanna get some more sales on the table. And that's interesting because that's what a win looks like. Ultimately, is it leaves the foundry, I imagine, and becomes part of Unilever proper and their and, and their systems for true distribution and scale take over that. That'll be a, a wistful moment when you have to wave goodbye to your, your fledgling creations. Yeah, and, that, and that's, the, that's the future success. But I see lots of amazing milestones along the way in terms of 
learning and sharing those learnings back and and helping build this future like that's really what we're all about it's like how can we help contribute to the future that we're trying to build as a business and and the uncovery has a lot to offer in that space um one of those things we hope will be a brand that will be in part of the future of unilever along with all the amazing brands that that we have that, that have got serious legacy we want to be part of that with our brands um but also all the brands we're launching are meeting consumer needs and doing something different in the space. We're looking for these wide spaces. So we see lots of success in just connecting with people in those needs and, and offering them products and brands and solutions that, that help them. And um, you know, when we're getting any kind of success on any scale, you know, doing that, it's, it's a really proud moment for us and, and we're really enjoying that. Very cool. Once you have got a product that's say in that one of those buckets in the scaling phase on Amazon, at what point do you start thinking about other platforms, Elliot? And right now for say, say the one that's in your top bucket or your top couple buckets, where do you see the next phase of scale in terms of other ad platforms coming from? So this is kind of like the double edged sword about Amazon being a pool of demand you can capture is there is sort of like a moving ceiling on that, right? So if you're trying to really like drum up your numbers and open up in different channels and increase your sales, you might hit an inflection point where you've done about as much as success as you can currently on Amazon and you need to open up the opportunity to do DTC or other channels. Um, Any that are on your mind in terms of specific platforms you think being you think of, of as a fertile grounds to be the next phase of your, your sort of launch process? I kind of see like setting up the DTC website to have like this three, if they're not separate channels, they're kind of three prongs of the same stool would be like the paid media, your consumer experience and email marketing or SMS marketing. So like building your list and CRM and consumer database, making sure that the experience is seamless across all of your digital touch points and artifacts. And then, you know, running really uh, high quality traffic and media towards those places. I think without any one foot of that stool, you kind of run into like a leaky bucket scenario. So having them all kind of, I don't view them as separate channels. I kind of view them as part of the same, same tactic. And it's just interesting because it's Amazon does collapse so much of them. So it does make perfect sense to be the place where you launch. Selena, we're, we're just for the last question here. I'm just really, I'm, I'm just curious. I, we didn't talk about this before, but how does Unilever think about the CPG space in a potential global economic downturn? <laughs> that's, a, that's a really hard question. Um, I, I think like any business would think about it. You know, you've got to respond to changes in the market. Like ultimately, um, you know, whether people are getting more affluent or people are, uh, you know, in really tough times. It's about how, are you there for them? How do you offer what they need? And it's not always clear cut. Sometimes, you know, people stop going to the spa and, and want to create that experience at home. And, and how can you offer them doing that? So at the end of the day, what, at any time, for us, it's about really understand your consumer, walk in their shoes, be with them, de-average them. They're not like a, a like one person. Understand all the different experiences that people have and then be the first and the best to be there for them. Um, with something that they need and yeah this this change in like the economic situation and, and and the global situation is a really good opportunity for us to start listening or to get you know to really listen and and really look and really see what people need and and, and deliver it for them and, and that's what we're trying to do always 
I've also just read some initial things about about ad spending that are, you know c- companies slowing down ad spending or not, and CPG seems to be and consumables in general are seem to be slightly insulated, like electronics and maybe home goods and maybe some higher ticket things. There may be a bit more, but I feel like consumables and CPG are a little bit sheltered potentially, just because they're they're something that people don't usually go without. Yeah, there. Are, I mean, there are obviously definitely products that you that you were always going to need in your life. Um, I can't speak for anything in terms of our like global ad spend. I'm not at all connected to that area at all. Um, I think it's hard to say what people can go without and can go without or can or can't go without. It's it's an individual thing, and it for me it comes back to just knowing and and learning about your consumer and understanding where they're at at that time. Totally. Uh, on the pilot house side, what's what's the focus kind of going forward into uh, what are we headed into Q3 here, Rob? Um, just kind of keep keep scaling within the parameters. We're getting real excited for like Prime Days next month. And then Amazon announced they're doing a second Prime related event, I believe, in the fall. My assumption is it'll be in October. Um, And then like you move right into October into like Black Friday, Cyber Monday, November, and then to Christmas shopping. So we're heading into a very exciting time of year. So the focus with the brands now is driving as much volume and rank and relevance boost as we can because all that traffic is going to naturally come to Amazon throughout the next few months. So the higher you are up in your, up in your rankings, the more you can capitalize on that traffic. Um, and as long as your campaigns are set up correctly with good bids and not budget capped to scale up when that traffic comes, uh, we'll be in a really good position to, to capture a lot of that demand, which is, is super exciting. Very cool. And I have to ask my 50K question to Elliot, Mr. Innovation here. If we were to give you a 50K slush fund for each of your 10 brands, uh, where would you use that to, uh, to, to leverage the most growth? I do content marketing. Like I feel like so many DTC brands have like really boring blogs and their content operations so that they, they do the really good like featured about brand stuff. Um, but they don't expand that into like a broader content ecosystem. And I feel like looking into the next like six to eight months, like having organic playing, you know, 10 to 20% of your traffic, which I don't think a lot of e-commerce brands have, but 10, 20, 30% of your traffic coming from organic would be a real game changer. Um, so I've been thinking yeah, a lot building like forecasts for brands lately. Of course, it's like difficult to make any one particular channel profitable and it's more about like your total store performance, but it just wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt to have another like 100,000 sessions coming from organic. I smell a skincare newsletter brewing. Oh, <laughs> don't Can't go wrong with newsletter. Do you agree with that, Selena? Not to, not to not to oppose you guys, and I actually want to hear Rob, even in the Amazon environment, where you'd use it and where which bars Dan would blow it at. But Selena, <laughs> sorry, that was a shot. Selena, would you agree with content marketing? Where would you put the fifty k? Yeah, no, I'm I'm fully with Elliot. I'm I really think that's absolutely key. Um, is is doing something engaging a hundred percent. There's so much there's so much you can do in that space as well. Like way more creative stuff that's, that's available. So yeah. I love it. And Rob, in the Amazon environment, where would you, uh, if you, if we gave you 50k slush run from D to C, uh, what would you do with it? Um, it depends on where the brand's at, honestly. So I'll use a, just a random example. Like if that brand is reaching what Elliot's talking about in terms of balancing that rank and relevance, like you're, you're not, you're maybe achieved rank for one of your mid-volume keywords, but you can't quite compete for your highest volume. So the brand's been proven. And now you need to go capture demand and build that brand. I would go spend it on Facebook, honestly, um, and drive it to DTC because that's just going to help you drive additional volume for the brand. That'll spill over to Amazon and then you'll grow, see a lot of success out of that. If it's super early days on Amazon, you're just launching, then like 
on Amazon ads, which is just a cop-out answer. But I love it. And last words for Mr. Norcia, where would you put your uh, 50K slush fund? Uh, not at a bar, but thank you for that. <laughs> Um, I think it's kind of a hybrid answer, to be honest. I think the content side of things is super important, but not necessarily written content. Um, I think creator-generated content, I think reviews, I think, um, you know, use videos, unboxing, etc., is, is super important for, for new brands to kind of get that initial momentum going. Obviously, we've been spending a tremendous amount of our effort uh, in the past probably six or so months on TikTok. Um, it is a highly scalable platform, and if you get that content correct, can create absolutely insane virality in a very short period of time. Um, so that part of it, right? And then making sure that you're able to capture those folks outside of TikTok, which is, is a highly top of funnel platform. So how do you get folks interested at the top of the funnel, and then how do you like maintain that connection and, and get them seamlessly uh, to make a purchase? Easy, right? Yeah. I love it. Nice. I want to thank everyone for coming on the All Killer No Filler Show today. This was a lot of fun. Have a great, I don't know if it's a long weekend in both Canada and the United States, just on the Friday and the Monday, I understand. So I hope everyone has a long weekend. I don't know if Selena, you do in the UK as well. Are you, is it a long weekend for you? I don't think we have a long weekend, no. Oh, we have no well, long weekend this weekend. <laughs> sorry for bringing it up then. Uh, <laughs> see you later. You guys enjoy. See you later, enjoy everyone. your long weekend. We will. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.